What is up, everybody? Welcome to Amp the All Things Media Podcast. I'm your co-host, Scott Louder. And I'm Jason Ecker. I'm vaping a lot today. So be prepared to hear a lot of yeah <laughs> in your ears. Not not like anxiety-based vaping, more just like, yeah, let's vape. Yeah. Let's vape it up. Feeling good about it today. Yeah. Today is a very exciting, exciting day. It's been an exciting weekend. Um, the new Bon Iver album has finally dropped, so of course we have to dedicate a podcast to it. I feel like this moment's five years in the making. It is five years <laughs> in the making. It absolutely is five years in the making. So uh, that, that's going to be our main segment today. We have a couple of little things to talk about here yeah. and there. Um, today was my last day at Sam Ash Music Stores in Charlotte. Too long, it, Time to time to move on. Not. It was a fun three months. You got you to gotta admit, it's something you can check off of the musical band, yeah, band I, bucket list. I had never worked in a music store before, Never so mind. I can now say that I have done that. Yeah, I don't know. I don't want to do it. I'm um, good. It makes you like kind of hate musical instruments for a while. I'd much rather build musical instruments than I would try to sell them. Mm-hmm. Like, Not to mention sell them on commission. Mm-mm. So Mm-mm. it was fun working with those people there. Good folks that work there. It's just, you know, it was time for me to do you know something different is that is that one story you told me worth telling the band of gypsies the band of gypsies oh god (laughs) so this week we um we had what my manager called a band of gypsies it was a bunch of folks from some weird church like way out in the boondocks which was a reference to Jimi hendrix band it totally was um so they come in, they bring in these speakers. We we buy in like used gear and stuff. And, you know, we usually have no problem doing that. Well, they brought in these speakers and expected to get a certain amount from it for some reason. And we offered them $200 less than they wanted. But the guy that was like the salesperson they were working with told them that they, he gave them 800 for it. He misspoke. Should have said six. Yeah. Should have said six. So they thought they were getting 800 for it. And he comes back and said, well, I can only do six, blah, blah, blah. So they literally, they called their pastor. Like he's going to do something. Like he can, like he has like this almighty power to then, you know, change the number magically that my pastor calls. In their eyes, he does. (laughs) Apparently. Well, the pastor calls my sales manager directly and says, hey, your guy offered 800 for these speakers. We were looking to get about that. He's like... Well, he's like, there are two active speakers, which active speakers are basically the ones you turn on, and two passive speakers, which are the ones that require some sort of power amp or some sort of powered mixer to make them work, which those speakers don't sell for as much because they're kind of a pain. Nobody wants that anymore. No, nobody wants it anymore. We don't sell them anymore, really, which is why we don't really buy them in too often. Yeah, that's right. But... So anyways, they're like, all right, well, you know, they yelled back and forth for a minute. He's like, I'll just, I'll make it work somehow. You know, if I have to pull, you know, some off of the price of the actual speakers, because they were planning on buying a new set of speakers as well. So these people in all were here for about a solid hour and a half, two hours and speaker hustling, speaker hustling. (laughs) So they finally get the speakers they want. Well, in the meantime, they kind of like set up camp in my department and every single one of them had a soda and they're all like eating fucking crackers and all kinds of other shit. Like, you know, they just, they're about to have a revival in the middle of the pro audio department of Sam Ash. Keep your coal away from the synths. Yeah, seriously. So finally we get them out of there. 
I swear they kept multiplying as we were there too. <laughs> like they started with three and then like eight of them existed <laughs> suddenly. It was it was unreal. So finally we sell them their speakers and they leave. And I'm like wandering around our apartment and there's just shit laying everywhere. I didn't know whose was whose, where it came from, like Dr. Pepper cans and <laughs> like uh Wasn't it La Dr. Croix. Pepper and LaCroix? Yeah, LaCroix. <laughs> Which are my two they favorite were, drinks. They're fucking everywhere. They were everywhere. So I'm wandering through I the department trying to figure out like I asked like everyone I was working with, I was like, Did you guys like did you guys have any soda, anything like that? They're like, No. <laughs> We weren't drinking any soda. I was like, son of a bitch. Those fuckers left it everywhere and like hide it. They hid it in places. Go! I was so mad. So I'm wandering through the department trying to find all the garbage they left behind. And uh, finally, I, I gather all the soda cans and threw them all away. They literally, they just came through, had their little revival, got their speakers, and then left just a fucking tornado of shit everywhere. Clearly they forgot There's, my favorite Bible verse, which is where Jesus is talking about when you go in a music store, throw your shit away when you leave. Yeah. I don't know what book is from, but... I, I like that book already. <laughs> I don't even need to know the name. Oh, the other story is the one about the really expensive Gibson. I think that's an interesting one. The Gibson? Yeah, that weird-ass hollow body that's oh, a cutaway. Oh, God, yeah. We um we bought in a really expensive Gibson guitar that... um We bought it in for, like, seven grand, and they were going to turn around and sell it for ten grand. Yeah. Um, like I, th a... I think they listed it on Reverb.com. Oh, word. Yeah, because um, they do a lot of selling on Reverb and eBay and stuff. Was well, it from the 60s or the 70s? It was from the... It was from 1968, and it's called a Super 400... It's basically a Gibson. Crazy looking guitar. It's a 335, but it's cutaway, so it's like it's meant for shredding. And it's a hollow body. It's not a semi hollow like the 335 is. It's a fully hollow body? Mm hmm. That's weird. Yeah, man. that's crazy, man. It was a really interesting because it was pretty. It was in immaculate condition too. Yeah, it's probably it was it was just unreal. Kept in a closet yep. for a couple days. Had a nice case, everything. I mean, it was it was solid. They like they took it right up to our office that locks yeah. <laughs> upstairs <laughs> just yeah didn't even make it onto the floor man i just thought it was weird it's like well i, I didn't realize it was a, a fully hollow body guitar but it had access all the way to the top fret so it's like yeah it's, it's a jazz guitar but it's meant for like shred city jazz guitar oh totally it's cool it was a nice guitar i love hollow bodies so yeah that was a that was a cool little find that was a couple weeks ago i think but so. that chapter of your life is closed it is closed now it was like a little sad but not really it's not like i had not like my last job where i had 11 years at the place and yeah. you know got laid off and this one left on my own accord going to work for a new company in a couple of weeks which is exciting so i don't really ever stay at a job past two years anyway dude 11 <laughs> 11 years my last job was crazy man i i like sticking around especially when i get comfortable there and i'm good yeah you know i if I'm cool with what I'm doing, no point in leaving. Yeah. I hate finding new jobs. That's the one thing I absolutely can't stand. <sighs> yeah, I agree. And it took me like three or four months to find one. It usually takes about that time. You're right. It yeah. does. And I just didn't have the time for that anymore. And I wasn't making enough cash monies at the Sam Ash. Yeah. So I moved on. There you go. Thanks for all the memories, Sam Ash. But, but now I'm excited because you don't work weekends now, and I don't plan on working weekends. So basically, let's keep making Get music. Get back to life as normal. I mean, all my weekdays will be open, too. I'll be home at night. Yeah. Which is pretty cool. Back to the lab. Back to the lab with new things. Praise Jesus. To get... Um, so I don't know if you guys have seen online at all. Uh, if you haven't, you need to go to raincoatmusic.com. We have posted the video for the first song. Uh, we've been talking about it for a while. 
And uh, it's finally online, and you guys can check it out. And feel free to let us know what you think about it. Raincoatmusic.com. Mm. Raincoat is in like raincoat, like you wear outside if it's raining. Um, we got some other songs coming out. Too. Yeah, we got more songs coming out. We're almost done with a few more, but we're going to release that one as a single. It'll be up on Spotify and iTunes probably the next month or so, mm. and we will make an announcement about that when it happens. Yeah. It's very Steely Dan, the sense of being very studio focused. Yeah. Which yeah, I like. It kind of is. It's my favorite workshop to be in. Yeah, we have no plans to play out at all. No. We don't really have a full band to play out. I don't even know how we would do some of these songs live. And but once you hear, you'll understand. When you put the word MIDI in the live situation mm-hmm. in the same sentence, I have like, I get the sweats. Well, not even MIDI with that, just all the layers. Well, I mean, yeah. we could, oh, yeah. I mean, I could go out and Kanye it and just play a backing track and sing to it. Well, I've been thinking like, with the gear that I have, I really could do like live electronic craziness, but it's just one of those things like I never, I don't, I would not want to set it up. Like, I, I just, yeah, that and you'd have to like sit and practice it over and over and over again. And it would just be improvised. Yeah, it would have would to do. be. Yeah, this type of thing couldn't be improvised. No, it would be, and I like banging tracks are all right, but one of my favorite bands, LCD Sound Systems, what I always liked about them is they didn't use any backing tracks. Like, they would all... They, they just, all live. Mm-hmm. And I always thought it was really cool. See, that's a problem. We'd have to, like, put a band together. Like, yeah. we would need someone to play keyboard. We would need uh, another guitar player. We would need, you know, all kinds of... There were, It would take a lot to really put together a big enough sound to handle this type of music. I'd rather just get paid to make songs in a studio yeah i think we're just gonna stick to sitting in the studio it's a lot more cozy and it pays yeah. better yeah it's it's it, it's it is my favorite workshop and i always look yep. at it as a workshop yep. or a laboratory and it's my favorite place yeah it kind of is it kind of is um so before we get to boney bear i want to talk for a second about uh another album that came out this week uh francis and the lights which i'm sure you haven't listened to yet i haven't I told you to listen to it two days ago, but it's okay. Is it on Spotify? Yeah. Oh, duh. It's on Spotify. I'll listen to it. Um, very interesting album. Um, Justin Vernon, uh, guest vocals on one of the tracks. And it was re- that track was released a couple months ago mm-hmm. called uh, Friends, which is a cool track. Probably one of the better ones on the album. The album is really interesting. What kind of music is it? It's real... I don't even know. It's a lot of sample-based type stuff and mm-hmm. kind of glitchy. Mm-hmm. Kind of like the new Bon Iver a little bit, which mm-hmm. we'll get into. But... Um, <sighs> Every track is is different. I can't really pinpoint exactly what it sounds like. Okay. Because um, I, I remember the Friends song, but I can't recall what it sounded like at all. You'll you'll like it a lot more than I did, probably just no. because of the sample based type stuff and the weird things that happen in each of the songs. Okay. But you can tell that like Justin Vernon had a hand in it. You know, like I like sample stuff because I'm envious of the people that can that have the technology to do it. Like we were just watching. A video about the teenage engineering op1 synthesizer which is this very expensive but very cool uh device made by i think it's a swedish company yep and um they are swedish yeah and the op1 it's about it's maybe like a foot and a quarter long and it's probably about as thin as an iphone but it's a juggernaut. It's a really cool device, and it looks like a kid's play toy. It looks like a kid's play. It looks like a Fisher Price toy made out of like anodized aluminum. Yeah, <laughs> it's cool. But we were watching this guy play with one, and it, in it itself is a sampling device as well. But they're using it with the machine system, which is essentially just like a NPC on steroids. But it's the things that the machine made by Native Instruments can do is fucking nuts, man. Like I, I it is crazy. I don't really 
I've got every musical tool I could ever want, and the only thing I need or would want now is just a sampling device. And the machine does everything besides sampling, but it really does. Sampling is cool, man. Yeah, we're talking about how hard. Like, I don't feel like the art of scratching records gets enough credit. I think it's one of those things a lot of people look at and say, "I can do that," but it is one of the it is most hard things to do. It really is. The people that can do it, they make it look so easy. But it's it's just cool. I love it a lot. Me too. Yeah. Me too. A whole lot. Shouts out the bomb squad. Eight hundred and fifty dollars worth of a lot. Yeah. But hey, it's cool. But anyways, yeah, the um the Francis and the Lights album sounds a little like they use that because mm-hmm. it's a lot of sampling type stuff, a lot of uh, really interesting like sounds put together. Mm-hmm. Um, some of it kind of simplistic. Mm-hmm. Uh, doesn't get really too elaborate mm-hmm. uh, lyrically. It's meh. <laughs> Um, but the dude has a really interesting voice. Like I said, there's probably two or three tracks that I like on it. That friend song is one of them. But worth a listen. Definitely worth a listen. Um, Francis and the Lights. I can't remember the n- name of the album. Uh, Farewell Starlight, maybe. Something like that. I think it might be what it's called. I would just like to shout out Bishop Briggs. Bishop Briggs. We, uh, we covered one of her songs in one of our bands. But she's... It's like blues... Blues music meets trap beats, but it's all like centered around the fact that she has an amazing voice. Like, man, that woman can like burn a house down. She can. And she only has like three or four songs out. You know what though? I watched a live video of oh. her doing that river song. Yeah. Her voice is like a little shaky live. Uh-uh. Yep. Well, so I wasn't extremely impressed with the live version mm-hmm. of it. Um, and the band wasn't that great either. Like they didn't like bring it. I could see that. It didn't, like, it didn't have the weight that it does on the album. The songs are very, very produced. They are. Yeah. So. And this was kind of messy sounding. Which, as long as it sounds good on tape, to me, I'm cool with it. Yeah. I'll, obviously, like I, I like, I like it when bands can play their stuff live. But if the best they got is a good song, you know, a good song is a good song. Yeah, it is. I mean, it was produced well. Yeah. Uh, speaking of songs that aren't produced well, <laughs> the new weekend song. Oh yeah! Thank you for reminding me. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So, what's it called? Like Starboy. Starboy. Yeah. No, that's the name of the album. No, the album's called like Damage Control or something. No, it's not. No, the song's called Starboy. No, so, I'm a motherfucking Starboy. Like I watched the video. Oh well, he's got two songs out then. Oh, I heard because the there's one. one that came out today. Oh, I heard or on uh, Friday. So the thing about Starboy is it's it's co-produced by Daft Punk. Which on when I and that's the only reason I really listen to it. Like I like the the stuff off of Beauty Behind the Madness. Like The Hills is still one of my favorite songs from last year. But like when you see Daft Punk in the title of a song, you expect there to be a lot of Daft Punk going on, aka uh, Stronger by Kanye West. Yeah. Or whatever the first song on Yeezus was. That's really cool. But this one was like instead of being like eighty percent Daft Punk, twenty percent weekend, it was all the way around. And I was just like, and honestly, if you didn't tell anybody that Daft Punk was involved in the song, you never know. You never have an idea. Which I was like, I was like, really let down. Like, come on, man, you're working with Daft Punk. I love Daft Punk. Let Daft Punk do their Daft Punk thing. Seriously. Yeah. The, Nothing like that. The new song that just came out on Friday is called False Alarm. It is horrible. Oh, man. The hook on it's so bad. Um, the beginning sounds like a, just a ripoff from a Michael Jackson song. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. And the chorus just gets really, really weird, and it's it's absolutely terrible. He was on SNL this weekend, and I think he performed that song. I've, I watched a little bit of that. And the Starboy song. The thing is, the, the reason why I like the songs that I heard from his last album is they were very layered. Yeah. They had, like, some graininess and some distortion and some just... There was a lot going on. Right. Well, and it was written well. Yeah. Max like, Martin. <laughs> he, well, yeah, he's he basically... Here comes the sophomore slump. Yeah, well, that's the thing is like, I even like some of the older weekend stuff, like the mixtape stuff, because even that, while it was not as layered as the last album, it had that same vibe. But yeah, the new songs didn't have any of that. It felt like someone had like updated iOS ten and it got rid of all like the the junk yeah. the songs. It sounded really just not a lot going on. Just boring. Yeah, it's really yeah. boring. Really clean. Yeah, the newest one's just really really weird and digging it. Yeah, I don't like it at all. Yeah. Don't like it at all. Sorry, The weekend. Sorry, The weekend. It was No Hills. That was a good song. Your song is miserably terrible. It's really boring, man. So, yeah, I went through some of the new releases this week just to, like, check them out real quick. Um, that girl, Dea, the one that does the Hideaway song. Oh, yeah. Um, had a new track out called Cool. It's okay. Kind of boring. Mm-hmm. Um, not a whole lot else came out this week. Uh, there's new... Uh, Nora Jones that came out. Oh, is there? There is. Uh, there is. Uh, what's it called? Uh, the new Nora Jones is called Tragedy. I wonder for, who produced uh, it's it. It's just a single. That's oh, a single? Mm-hmm. Dude, that's what everyone's doing now. Everyone just releases <laughs> singles. No one releases albums anymore. Uh, what is an album? I feel like kids are going to be asking that in like 10 years. What's an album? Because it's like single, 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 single. No one creates albums anymore. Well, no, well, no. We're going to talk about it. We are going to talk about what is... The uh, the death of the album will always be highly overrated. I don't think it's going anywhere. No, it won't ever die. Because there are people that still love albums. But I'm still cool with singles. Uh, I kind of am, but when I find a band I really like, and I like one of those songs, mm-hmm. and I realize that's the only song they have out, I usually get kind of pissed. Because it's like, I want to see what else they can do. Cool, they've written one good song. What else can they do? And, you know, if there's nothing else there, I really have no way to judge whether they're, you know, maybe like, legit or not. I'm 29, and I wonder if I'm, like, the last generation that really thinks in albums. Because I think in albums. No. No? It's still going on? Let me tell you why you're not. I hope I'm wrong. So, yeah, new music and stuff, yeah, obviously everyone's putting out singles and... They'll put out singles like four or five months before they put the actual full album out, things like that. But full albums are still happening. But what I'm thinking is because, you know, we had talked in the past about the resurgence of vinyl and how well it's doing. Vinyl is still doing well because people still want full albums and they want to just put it on and let it play. Mm-hmm. You know, let it be heard the way the artist intended it be heard instead of just picking and choosing. So it's kind of like vinyl is the anti-internet. And I, yeah. I feel like that because vinyl's still doing well, and I think we'll continue to do well. Yeah, I don't see it going anywhere. That albums won't go anywhere because of that reason. Well, you know, it's like even even though even with C, C in, well, okay, so like I think the A and B side idea maybe got lost over the past. It couple, has, but it's coming back a little bit. And because I, I think even if you're just thinking about it metaphorically when you're recording music i think it's very important to think of things in a and b sides yeah i was like even i'm I'm sorry working on some new music and even with that like i'll i'll 
decide like, okay, well, this is part A and then part B, which nine out of 10 times the B side of anything is always a little more relaxed. And well, then it's usually more filler too. On the B side? In a lot of cases. That's true. Can you think of an album that's not like that? Most of the Coldplay albums? That's true, actually. <laughs> two for two. Yeah, I agree. Cause mm-hmm. There's a lot of really good B-sides on Coldplay. There are. Hmm. So I guess... Hmm. Yep. Try and diversify whenever you're thinking of your song or your track placement. Seriously. Well, because everyone, you know, front loads everything because, you know, usually when someone listens to an album, they're going to listen to the first, you know, three, four songs. Yeah. So they want to front load it with their best stuff. That's, that's yeah. That's yep. True. Which, oh, what's front load? What's an album? Duh. What are they called? The band that, like, saved me from dying in a car crash. Uh, Thursday? Good band, but no. Um, What's the, the the band? They're really weird, but they're kind of good. The guy sounds like he's the... They play would, instruments and stuff. 5,000 Miles. They sample a Miley Cyrus song. Everyone likes them. Oh, God. Blessed. They're British. You're still not narrowing it down much. Um, I don't know, man. Oh, it's on the tip of my tongue. It's this band that plays instruments. They play instruments. And they're British. They have a song called Breeze Blocks. Oh, Alt-J. Alt-J, yeah. Their last album. uh, I listened to the first couple songs. They're really boring. That band is boring. Mm, I like their first album. I'm not gonna lie, but I think it's an at least as far as the newest album. I think it's an example of like maybe front loading is kind of good. They're boring as hell live. Oh, they're so boring live. <laughs> oh my god, I think I'd rather take a nap. I don't even like naps. More boring than Carsey headrest. <sighs> ah, that'd be a good face off. Who can make you nap first, Alt J or car seat headrest? Answer car, in the comments. I say car seat headrest. Probably car seat headrest. Oy car seat headrest. Totally. Oh man! But no, okay. Quick story. Like the first Alt J song I ever heard was the one. Ah, oh, God, I'm so bad. We do these podcasts late, so I can't have things straight. Anyhow, I was going to work one day, and this song came on Pandora, and I was like, "Man, this song is really good." And the song concluded while I was at this green light or this red light. Red light turns green, but I was sit there for like a couple seconds, like, "Wow, that was really tight." And then this giant fucking work truck like f650 like ran the red light mm-hmm. it's basically all j fucking saved my ass like that shit hit me your boy yeah. might be a vegetable right now that's no bueno it's a it's i've never had any musical experience like that and it always stay with me like and if i ever met all j i tell him that story but can yeah. can we get you an alt j save my life shirt sure yeah maybe all right. yeah i'll wear it maybe just a bumper sticker yeah <laughs> I, don't, I don't really like their second album but alt j saved my life it's, it's whatever the tessellate whatever that is i think it's the name of that song it's, that called, a, it's called tessellate yeah that's a good song <laughs> literally <laughs> non-life-saving components aside, i always like them <laughs> i do think like people like them a little too much like people kind of like have a bit it's too much alt j boner it's because they're like one of those weird bands that yeah. people latch on to they're, they're one of those weird bands that kind of verge on a little poppiness yeah so people are like oh this is an indie band but it's still kind of pop so i can like them have you noticed that the vocalist sounds like the two dudes from the i wouldn't walk 500 miles like he sounds like that dude from the proclaimers yeah his voice is the exact same as the proclaimers dudes that's kind of weird i know right but it's true. If you listen to like a, that song in an it's Alt J song, you'd be like, "Oh my god!" 
Like, is it the same guy? Has he been reincarnated as... You're welcome for that. Scott's phone's blowing up. He's on that fucking... It totally is. Biggie Smalls life. I'm telling you. I wish I was that popular. No, I'm not that popular. (laughs) It's all dumb things. (laughs) It's always all dumb things. You know. All dumb. Yeah. So, the new Bon Iver album came out. Uh, Yeah, it's out. I rejoiced. I'm glad that we... I wouldn't say we called it, but we definitely picked up on the tea leaves saying that there was a Bon Iver album coming earlier in the year. We did. We right. Listen back. We called Listen it. Listen back. We called it. You heard it first, bitches. Shit. Well, you heard it first here. Bon Iver 22 A Million came out on Friday, and it is as glorious as I wanted it to be. It's a Folktronica album. Folktronica. <laughs> which is a category I saw on Wikipedia. <laughs> Is that's a thing now? Apparently. It's the best way to describe it, though. Wow. Folktronica. Folktronica. I'll take it. It is a very, very interesting album. It is one that you cannot listen to just once. It's kind of like the Lay's potato chips of albums. You can't eat just one. I'll tell you what it reminded me of out the gate. It reminded me of a Bride's album, Digital Lash and the Digital Urn. A little bit. It's the only thing I can compare it to. But I feel like Digital Ash wasn't as thought out as this one. Uh, well, it didn't take as long to make. I can say that. No. Well, it definitely didn't take as long to make, but I don't think it, it was as well thought out as this album was. It's just the only album I've ever heard that composed itself with folk music and electronic music i guess is what made me think of it, it was i the, guess it was the first thing that came to mind i guess but i don't feel like it's one of those albums that you can compare to anything else that's ever been put out uh, if no. you sit and think about it there's nothing you can compare it to it's it's the, it's a very good example of um I, I learned this really interesting concept on youtube about um uh, art philosophy where a sketch is never as good as a collage and I would say the new Bonnie Vera album is definitely a collage of many, many different ideas. And yeah. it's done in such a way that it forms something original. And it flows so well together. It's short. I wish it was longer. I know. That is my only problem with the album. It's is like it's 32 minutes. It's, yeah, it's 32 minutes long. It doesn't have... I don't know. It's like I want more when it's over. Yeah, which I mean, that's better than, you know, like the yes mentality of like... Yeah, you put it out and you're sick of it after a week. Yeah. I mean, I, I honestly... I oh, have, I meant the band, yes. Oh, the band. Oh, <laughs> yep, agreed. I have listened to this album all weekend. I've been in the car quite a bit this weekend. I have a, I've had to work all weekend, which is like a 35-minute drive each way. Yeah. And this, that's pretty much all I've listened to nonstop. So I've probably listened through the album at least seven, eight times at this point. I listened to it uh, once so far. Once? Yeah. That's not enough time. And then I listened to a few, uh, like, honestly, the song I've been listening to over and over is uh, Circle. We'll yes. get to that. But you're we're, right. We're, we're going to give you a track by track. Yeah, sure. For sure. But, but like you said, every time you listen to it, you hear something new. You do. It's not one of those albums you can listen to once and digest all of it. Not at all. It doesn't, it'll connect with you the first time, but it takes multiple listens to really like take the whole thing in and, and yeah. understand what he was going for and what it, happens. And even we were listening to it before the podcast was a few songs. I noticed new things then. Like yeah. I noticed like some like 
I think it was 666. I noticed there was like this really weird vocal thing. Well, there's a lot of really weird vocal things, but this one particular weird vocal thing I hadn't noticed last time I listened to it. And uh, every sound system I listen to it on, I've listened to it in the car a lot, but after listening to a few songs like in the studio in here with the different speakers, and I mean, you just you hear stuff. I, this is one I'm definitely going to be buying on vinyl because you'll hear different things on vinyl too because you're getting like the full on, you know. Scott's a Scott's format. an audio nerd like me. Like I like to try to listen to, especially if an album sounds really really good. Yeah. Like I like to listen to it. Like I was listening to it on my iPhone to see what came up. And it's really funny because actually I noticed a specific layer on the iPhone that I didn't notice listening to otherwise. Like just listening through iPhone speakers. Literally. That's yeah. crazy. I when I listen to it, I listen to it on my uh, AKG seven hundred ones. I think they are, which are great headphones. So very pure sounding and then i listened to it here and without a doubt is it is a very very well produced album which mm-hmm. considering what it's what it's working with mm-hmm. which is chaos total chaos but in the end you know like it follows the physics of sound and it's a, a good mix there is a method to the madness totally and a total method to the madness now i can tell you today that the only thing i did listen to um, I did skip. I went through the Francis and the Lights album once just to listen to that through. And I also today, um, on my way to work, put on 808s and Heartbreak. Hey! Because I read a lot of reviews on this. Mm-hmm. And, you know, because I just, you know, I like to see what other people are saying about it, see if there's something else I can learn about it that I, I hadn't before. Because I'm a music nerd and I'm cool with that. And I've come to terms with that fact. But a lot of people are saying, you know, this is like. Boney Bear's 808s and Heartbreak. So I I had to pop it on and listen to it. And I can say that I I think I listened to about three quarters of the album. That's about all I got through. But the opening track's my favorite on that album. The opening actually. track is is very good. Um I can compare it to the Boney Bear stuff a little bit in the musicality of it. But as far as the song construction, melodies, you know, lyrically, I mean, that 808s and Heartbreak doesn't hold a candle to this. No, 808s is a very minimal album. It is. Um, I would say if they hold anything similarly, it's just because, as I've said before, 808s is an exceptionally important album uh, in terms of just sound and how it's influenced future music. Yeah. Well, I mean, a lot of the auto-tune stuff and yeah, that the, the main difference between the two... I mean, Bon Iver uses a lot of the auto-tune stuff now, a lot of the crazy big harmonies, and we're going to talk in a minute about the new instrument they created, a new plug-in they created to yeah. create the vocal effects that he I used on the would, album. I don't know if you would call but, this album auto-tune. Uh, it's got some auto-tune on it. It's got some auto-tune on it. But Bon Iver uses it as a, a sonic tool. For real. <laughs> Kanye West uses it. To it's compensate insane. for his lack of vocal yeah. skills, I would say that's like, the difference. The artistic merits of the auto tuning on 808s is nothing really spectacular. No, it doesn't. They don't use it as an artistic tool. They used it because Kanye West can't sing. Yeah, totally. That's it. That's all that was used for on there. Well, you know, like it's. 808s is one of those albums where I guess I should clarify by saying if you gave me like an instrumental version of it, I'd like it even more. Because there's not all the vocals over it. It's just the production that I love so much about it. Another thing I noticed about 808s, while we're on 808s for a second, there's no swearing on the entire album. Interesting. Did you ever notice that? It is not an explicit album. Huh. 
Interesting. At least from the tracks I listened through, like like I said, about probably seven or eight tracks on it, and there was no swearing, which yeah. is the complete opposite of every other Kanye <laughs> album. I mean, polar opposite. I mean, can you think? I like I said, I listened through most of it and didn't hear one like, no f bombs, no big n bombs, nothing. Too many Urkels on your team. That's why your wins low. Mm-hmm. It's all my favorite Kanye lines. No, I think you're right. It's um. That that album is almost like uh, Kanye trying to be Phil Collins, I guess. I wouldn't say that. (laughs) I wouldn't say that at all. We'll we'll, we'll call it, say, like, um, instrumentally. Like, I like that album a lot. But I would not... The the level of creative merit on 22 Million is much, much higher than that of 808s. And the fact that it's not just like one simple loop over and over again Mm-mm. a lot of 808s is like here's a loop here it goes yeah there you go we'll change it up a little bit for the chorus and here's that loop again here it goes yeah i mean this album it's constantly changing and moving and seriously like nothing i've ever heard before no no, no. so let's let's do a quick track by track yeah you know we'll we'll, we'll give our comments on kind of each track as we go through it um so track number one, pretty much everyone's heard by now, 22, Over Soon. Mm-hmm. Uh, used some pretty cool samples in that one. Um, what's weird, though, is he, that was like the first song that was released, and then Death Breast, which we'll get to in a second. Mm-hmm. Um, the rest of the album doesn't really follow suit with those two tracks. No, they don't. So it was kind of like a smokescreen, in a way, mm-hmm. because it's like, oh, man, is he going to go this complete like weird direction real glitchy crazy sampled type stuff throughout this entire album and it's nothing like that Mm -hmm. you know these two songs kind of stand on their own as far as you know they're the sound of them and what they do and and how they were constructed they're the most easy they are especially the next one and it's and it's weird too because everyone's so focused on that sound but the rest of the album doesn't have that sound Mm -mm. you know I mean, they're the only two that really hold that sound. So the, that one's the over soon one is a little more mellow. Yeah. You know, it's got a lot more live instrumentation uh, than number two, which is Death Breast. Well, there's there's a lot of good albums that do the fake out like that. Uh, mm-hmm. First Impressions of Earth by The Strokes. Uh, the first song of that, You Only Live Twice. Oh, it's a good song. It's a great album. But that's a case where, like the first song on it sounds like traditional strokes and the rest of it gets really weird it's, yeah so they did it the opposite way yeah see that's with this one the first two songs on it doesn't sound anything like bon Iver, and then it does yeah it's sort of like the song it's, sort of, it's the songs that i guess um it's like they're they're laying out the philosophy of what this is going to be but then it, it takes off from there. It it almost backs off from the abrasiveness. Yeah, because honestly, this album is, is, is it's a song-based album, but at the same time, it's also an audio experiment. Yeah. And it, it and sometimes it juggles that exceptionally well. Sometimes it doesn't juggle it as well. But I guess with the first two songs, which actually, I like, I like the second song more than the first of those two. Yeah. But it's, it's just establishing what it's going to be. See, I'm the opposite with you. I don't like the second song very much. It is it is definitely without a doubt my least favorite song on the entire album. Not saying I don't like it. Yeah. I just don't like it as much because of just like the abrasiveness of it and it's just I feel like it's over oversampled and just I don't know. Well, I'll say this like 
the the songs I think about the most in this album are neither the first two. Yeah. Like I, I so I agree with you. Like they're I think it's like Death Breast because because bass player. But also like I mean, yeah. I don't know if it was intentional, but if it was trying to like you know, I've always I've always said like I feel that Justin Vernon and Kanye West equally had an effect on each other. They did. And and Kanye's It went both ways. It, it went wasn't both ways. One way or the other. And, you know? and but, they've worked quite a bit together you yeah. know, since uh the Woods song. Yeah. Yep. And, and I feel like with the second song with Death Breast, you know, if if at all it was an intentional nod to the the kind of like more modern Kanye sound or if it wasn't, it definitely embodies that and i guess that's why i dig it a little more because as i've said before like my beautiful dark twist of fantasy which i realize most kanye albums i like them just because of the production if you gave me instrumental versions on them i'd be just as happy yeah but definitely just uh it's got that that spice on it of those two it does so speaking of spice track number three uh 715 creeks 715 Creeks. These album titles, I don't know what that is. They're crazy as hell. Well, they're. I try to look up explanations for some of them, and there's not a whole lot out there yet, but I'm sure more will be revealed as we go along. Well, Creeks is an interesting song. I love that song so much. It's it's an interesting song, and it's actually. It's a song. It's the second best song in terms of balancing the songwriting versus the audio experiment because literally the, the song is a messina the messina which scott's gonna explain it because i really don't understand what the fuck it is i'm still trying to understand it completely did you read that like press conference with him i did i still don't yeah so i'll try to explain it as best i can with the limited knowledge i have on what this thing is or what it looks like even because i can't find a lot of information on it and i've, I've done some research because it's such a cool sounding thing so instead of traditional vocal processing, which in most cases, like, guy will sing into a microphone and they can add, like, different harmonizer plugins and things that yeah. basically will replicate the voice and, and pitch shift it up or down to create yeah. harmonies for it. Well, what they did is they created some sort of instrument that the vocals pass through that create more... Um, I, I don't want to say harmonies, but it, it created different pieces and added things mm -hmm. to it and just added more of like an instrumental value to it. Was the plugin already something that exists? No. Oh, so they, they built this is like they up? built this whole contraption that created the the vocal sounds you hear. So like when you listen to those songs, yeah, they may have a little bit of autotune mixed into it, but it's this this thing called the Messina. And the reason it's called that is because the producer of the album, his name's Chris Messina, is the one who developed it. And he and Justin Vernon kind of got together and and created this thing yeah. specific for this album. You know, they, they used it for this album. In the past, um, Justin Vernon would use... Uh, the TC Helicon Voice Live ex Voice Live Three Extreme, which basically had a lot of those like vocal effects and stuff that he would use live, yeah. and you know all it added those extra harmonies on. And he didn't have to worry about having a whole lot of singers and stuff with him. You know he could, you know, create the sounds that you heard on the albums prior. And before this album, you know, most of the stuff that he was doing was like auto tune, like straight auto tune. Yeah. Like, it's the best way I can describe it is it's like an instrument that bridges the gap between what auto tuning does and what a vocoder does. Yeah. 
like an it old adds school like, vocoder. It adds like additional harmonics into yeah. it. Yeah. It just it adds so much to it to give the vocal more body and more weight yeah. rather than just a simple vocal. Because I'm I'm sure you guys have heard a lot of just acapella stuff where there are acapella groups that do their thing and mm. you know it always still feels a little bit empty, like it's missing something. Yeah. See, I feel like this thing adds almost like an organic and and like an almost like an organ or like a pad type feel to all the vocals because of how much layering it does yeah. automatically. That's so a good way. It, it gives it a, a musical feel. It. Yeah, and so like in with a vocoder what's really going on is you're you're sending your voice through a circuit and the circuit is changing things. Right. But usually with the circuit, you know, you you play C and it sings in C or you play yeah play d and it does the same thing right it's all it's all based around what keys you play on the yeah. keyboard that has the vocoder built into it but you can't glitch it really you can't but with this i don't believe it that they use a keyboard with it i think you're right i think it's just you sing into it and it finds the nearest note you know if you don't hit it right on pitch it'll find the nearest note which yeah. gives it that auto tuny type quality but, but damn the layers though right it just it adds the those huge layers so literally he's singing these parts you know one maybe two times yeah you know he'll sing a regular his regular melody line and then maybe a, a higher harmony on top of it and it's putting all these layered vocals and layered you know just harmonics underneath it yeah that builds up this giant like vocal cacophony man it's the low ones that blow me away yeah it's On insane Creeks especially this is like low harmonic voice yep. throughout the whole thing i was like whoa yeah and creeks Jesus. is just an acapella song yeah yeah and it's it is it's mind-blowing it is how good it sounds i mean it's it's heavenly father-esque yeah without yeah. the sample yeah it, it's just like i hope they sell it <laughs> i think you get access to it yeah it is it is mind-blowing and that gets the thing and i've heard i've a few complaints I've heard about this album is that, you know, does the songwriting stand up on its own, subtract the vocal components? And I think there's some songs on it where that's not the case. I think there's some songs that where it is the case. I think that it is the case with Creeks. Maybe the first it two is. are the ones where the audio design maybe outweighs the songwriting. But, it does, but I think they're meant to do that. In in my my only in the in the battle between the songwriting and the audio experimentation really my only gripes would be with the first two songs like starting with creeks and going on i feel like that they both are in tandem for the most part you know what though i still feel like the first track could stand on its own if he sat there with a vocal and an acoustic guitar he mm -hmm. could play it i'm sure they're all written that way uh, i imagine so yeah. i mean there's n i can't think of another way to really put together something like i mean like any of these things that, that are on this album any song on this album I mean, it has to start with something simple. And it, in its most basic form, I feel like the first track could, yes, it could stand on its own as a good song. Because if, if you think about the melody that still accompanies it, take the samples away, take yeah. everything away, it still has a great vocal melody and it still has a really good vocal line and it's got a guitar in it. I know that's why I write such weird experimental music because I can't sit down and write a song. Yeah. And, and you know, I've tried to put lyrics over things that were not written on an acoustic. It yeah. is not easy. No. So it yeah. takes many, many years. And honestly, I've had a lot of discussions with people. Working in a music store, you have a lot of discussions with people about songwriting it's and a things podcast like on its own. Oh, Jesus Christ. It kind of is. But I have a lot of talks with people that, you know, they have, they have trouble writing songs. And, you know, you can only go so far when it comes to theory. You can, you can learn all the notes. You can learn how to place the notes. You can learn how to put the notes together. But there's just something natural that you're born with that enables you to create songs like you create. 
that you just have to have that that musical instinct to know what needs to go where and how it needs to sound and how the melody needs to be incorporated into the the instrumentation that you put together. Yeah. And it's I don't feel like that's something that can be completely learned. I mean, I feel like you can get better at it over time, yeah. but I still feel like you have to have that instinct to know, like, okay, this is going to sound like a good hook. That's yeah. why everyone can't just become a songwriter, you know, and learn to become a songwriter. I mean, there are those that work at it and work at it and work at it, and they get good and they get to a point where, you know, they could they could be mildly successful at it. Mm-hmm. But the ones that really have just that natural instinct and the to know what to do like 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 Justin, Scott Louder like Justin Vernon I wasn't going to say like Scott Louder like Justin Vernon like Justin Vernon he he is the only one that can do what he does there are a lot of people that try to replicate what he does but they can't do it because they don't have what he has he is very unique in that way you know like every person's their own unique type of person but he is unique in that way and that no one can create an album that sounds like what this Bon Iver, even the last two Bon Iver albums and the EP sound like. No one's been able to create something like that, that even holds a candle to it. Well, I agree with you. And I think that with me and music, like I've never really done much proper songwriting because I always, I, I would say that I'm much better at making weird sounds and like orchestrating chaos than I am sitting down on acoustic, which is why honestly, even though I make wild stuff, like I like listening to people that just play acoustics. I started listening to Joni Mitchell because <laughs> we watched Almost Famous, which we'll talk about in a future yeah. podcast. Joni Mitchell. I mean, I listened a little bit of Joni Mitchell before. She's a badass. Yeah. God, I love her so much. But, she, you know, most of the time it's just her with like a piano or maybe an acoustic. acoustic. And just chilling just out. slaying, man. That's the thing. Some people just have that instinct. They can create songs so easily like yeah. that. It's fun to watch. It just it just comes right to them and yeah. they don't have to work so hard at it. Alison Krauss is another person like that. I love her yeah. a lot. Yeah, she's yeah. good. She is really Jacob's good. Jacob's Promise. That was a song I was listening to by Alison Krauss. It's tight. But yeah, and I... Yeah, like I would. Justin Vernon is definitely one of those people, especially this album. Especially, I was a fly on a wall to learn more about whatever the creative process behind this album was. Like, just, just, because I, I feel like the one, like, assuming that it's been worked on off and on for the past five years, like, it, it would make sense just because to to layer something that creatively and to have that many dynamic shifts. Mm-hmm. The dynamic shifts, I think, is the hardest part. You can set up one thing and just let it run for five minutes, but to have things like Which is move, what a lot of, like, the rappers and R&B type people, they'll create, like, a, yeah. you know, eight-bar loop and just let it roll. Yep. You know, they don't, they'll change up a little bit. They'll uh, incorporate a couple of different elements into the chorus to beef that up a little bit and yeah. drop some things out for the bridge. But ultimately, it, it all revolves around that eight bar loop. That's why uh, Drummer Boy, he's like my favorite producer because he, he he's always really good at making drum loops that shift a lot and do really, really weird things. So he keeps it active. He does, it's more than just a loop. Like he's always yeah. just like throwing weird um, dynamic shifts in the music. Yeah. But so Creeks is dope. It's good Creeks is dope as Acapella. hell. Definitely one of my favorites on the album. So next we get to number four, 33 God. That was one of the other singles that came out before the album did. It's one of my favorites on this album. I do love that song <laughs> as well. Um, like every song, we, we, we talked about a little bit just in private about how it's cool, how this album shifts between like 
high fidelity and low fidelity. It does. And I think that 33 God's probably the first of the more lower fidelity sounding songs. It does. It, it verges back more into the self-titled album. Yeah. And the Bruce Hornsby starts In the Hornsby-esque-ness. There's a lot of that. Oh, I love it. And 33 God's definitely the one where it shows up. But It's, it's the first time it shows up. <laughs> we'll, we'll get to the later stuff. We sure shall. Yeah, it's, it's just like, that's, that is... As I've said already, there's there's the songs that lend itself more towards the experimentation, and there's the ones that lend themselves more to the songwriting. And the God song is definitely one that lends itself more to the songwriting. Uh, it's it's just a very song driven thing with elements of weird stuff going on. It is. But it's just really, it's really, just it's, a, it's an easy song to get lost in. Mm-hmm. It's over and over and over again. What do you think about it? Um, it's a I mean, what more is to say about that that hasn't been said already? I like the drums are really cool. Yeah, the drums are cool. In that Justin song. Vernon really likes his pan double drums. He does. And this is the first one. Which is why they usually used to play with two drum, two full drummers live, plus a percussionist. Do. Plus percussionist. Yeah. yeah it's a cool effect, too. man. I love it. I'd be interested to see what type of band he takes out live now after this album drops. Because whenever he played this whole album live um, out at the uh, Eau Claire Flat. Al Claire Festival in Wisconsin. It was pretty much just him, and he added some vocalists towards the end, um, and then that saxophone group. I can't lie. I hope it is something that resembles the self-titled band with more electric Same. stuff. Because man, that band was amazing. Yeah, they were. Jesus. They were awesome. So that leads us into number five, twenty-nine hashtag Strafford Apts. My apartments. Second favorite song in this album. So this one is really cool because it. It strips back to basically just acoustic. And the beginning it does. At the beginning, acoustic and vocal, and starts to incorporate more elements as the song goes on. But it, it kind of throws back to like the Forema, Forever Ago album a yeah. little bit. It has a lot of that feel to it. I tell you, the, the, this, that, that is just, it's such a good song, man. Like the, the apartment song is just like. <sighs> It's got all the low finess. Yeah. It stands like, like that would be if you if you're looking for an example for a song of this album that would stand on its own two feet without any electronic elements, it'd be that one. Oh, easily. It's just such a good song. Easily. It's like and it's cool how it, like it I never have heard a song able to shift or to begin with being literally just a voice and guitar. Yeah. And to add all these elements in. It does it in such a way that it just like it just starts like falling apart. It's just falling into like the void. I feel like a, a, this this whole album thematically to me is one about just like it's a very depressing album. I, it definitely is. Well, most of his stuff usually is. This one just like really grabbed me more than the other one. Something about like this this idea of just like reality. I guess it's a, it's an album that deals a lot with past, which I guess most songwriting does. But it's almost to say as if like the the, the past is constantly falling away into uh, static. It's like um, I think a, a good example would be uh, so a hard drive and a computer. Whenever you delete something off of a hard drive, uh, it's actually still on the hard drive. It's just that it becomes scrambled in the space where you're. Britney Spears MP3 may have been is now allowed to be taken up by a new Britney Spears MP3. But the fact remains is that the the equivocable the remnants the remnical data remains in the hard drive. And I feel like a lot of the elements of 
the electronic stuff on this album is trying to hearken to that. It's trying to say that almost like the ideas and the things that happened in the past are just they're still there. They're just kind of hidden. Yeah, a little more. They're just they're just doomed to fall into like a, like a binary sludge. And I guess the apartment song is the, to me it's a song that encapsulate that theme so fucking well. And, and and there's this really strange effect throughout the album where I don't know how the fuck they did it, but it's just like it sounds like whenever you have an auxiliary cable halfway in and like the sound starts glitching out. Yep. It's the same effect, but somehow they're able to do it and it sounds just glorious. It happens like two or three times on the album. You hear in like different songs and mm-hmm. stuff. It just like quick little glitch and like weird things that just happen out of nowhere. It's also like that you don't expect it. This one kind of like it even it sounds like they do like a low pass filter on it for a second and it comes back up in too towards mm-hmm. the end. I mean it's it's cool, man. I also feel like there's a second vocalist in this song. Yeah, I thought there was too the first time I listened to it. Or is that like a vocal effect? I don't it know. might be a vocal effect, or he's just using his voice in a different way. Because I looked to see if there were any guest vocalists or anything. I yeah. thought it might have been uh, S. Carey, who plays drums for him. Uh-huh. Um, it's possible that it's him because he can sing pretty well, and it sounded a little like him. So it's possible that it's him. Because it's just like the the timbre of the voice is so different. Like I don't think it's something that would have happened through like effects or anything. Right. And I think it's in general, it's an album that I can't wait to see the personnel list on. I think it's gonna be really. I think there might be some some uh, some names on that that we don't expect. And the I'm album lo- I'm looking right now actually. Well, the album also contains a lot of a lot of samples of other artists. I still don't, I don't understand what the Stevie Nicks sample is in the first song. Have you figured that one out? I haven't yet, no. And there, there's some... 33 God's another one that contains a, a, a sample from a song that you talked about a few podcasts ago. Mm-hmm. Which is cool. I, I think it's really, really interesting to to take that hip-hop element into, uh, into this. But I swear, like, the, the vocal that I thought was a different vocal, I thought that was a sample from another song. Like, it, the, the, the... I don't know. <laughs> it's a crazy song. So I don't think it actually has a Stevie Nicks sample. Okay. Uh, I'm looking at all the the sample credits right now. He was 30, Thirty Three God has one. Um, it's got a sample from Sharon Van Etten uh, from a song called D Sharp G. Uh, Morning by Willis S. Graham, performed by Jim Ed Brown. Iron Sky, written by Paolo Nutini. This one you mentioned. Yeah, I did mention that one in the past. Um, and then one of the one called all rendered truth written and performed by lonnie holly so just like weird stuff that you no one's really ever heard of um yeah i mean it's there's a lot of cool little samples there's there's not a ton you know there's like four or five songs that have samples on them yeah they're used sparingly which is the way they really are do it absolutely not not over the top you know enough to enhance what they're what you're doing Mm. So, all right, that leads us into track number six, which is 666, one of my absolute favorite songs on the album. I loved this song from the first time I heard it when they played it la- at last year's Eau Claire Festival. I did too. Um, what's cool about this song, two things. One, there's this cool little beep, boop, beep, beep, boop, boop that happens throughout <laughs> the entire song. Now, in the original live version, it was really hot in the mix, and that's you could hear mostly that, but there's this really great guitar riff that yeah. goes over top of that, too. Totally. Probably my favorite guitar riff on the album mm-hmm. as well. Um, I mean, there aren't a, there's not a ton of guitar on it, but um, what, what guitar there is, this is definitely tops. Um, 
And uh, I love the melody on this one is probably, oh man, it's, I don't want to say it's my absolute favorite, but it's, it's up there. It's definitely up there because it's, it, it's one thing that'll get stuck in your head a lot. Mm-hmm. Big time. It's, uh... Not to mention the sweet drums on it, too. I was going to mention the sweet drums. Oh, They're really... The drum fills are insane. Yeah, because they got, like... It's just really interesting, like, low reverb on the drums. Yeah. That makes it just, like, wash out. That's Sean Carey that plays them, of course. He's, he's, he's dope. He's the man. Uh, he's so good. And also we should talk about, just briefly... I think that this album has elevated the art of the lyric video to a level that no one's ever going to be able to touch. Like, I, I'm assuming yeah. that by the end, all the songs will have a lyric video out for them. Yeah. Oh, guaranteed. Because they just keep coming out like every other day, but they're all... I think the 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 visual, the visual components to this album, they really have lent to helping. They, they enhanced out. the album. They made the album make more sense. They did. Totally. They did. You yeah, can kind yeah. of put them together a little more. The the video for um, Twenty Three Apartments is my favorite because I, I that's a crazy one. I was trying to figure out how they did it, but I think I figured it out. Where it, when you watch the the lyric video, it looks like like what is on the screen is moving around the camera. I was trying to figure out how the fuck they would have done that, and I realized that, and I realized this once because there's a point where like the the it falls away and you see a brick wall behind uh-huh. but essentially they're using like an oculus rift or some kind of vr helmet and they're playing the the lyric video through the helmet and then they're holding the helmet up to the uh, the lens of the camera which i was really fortunate i got to play around with an uh, oculus rift one time but essentially it's a vr helmet and as you move your head what you see moves with you and so that's why the thing is moving like around constantly and it almost looks like a kaleidoscope yeah and it, it falls out of focus a few times. And, and also there was, um, I, what really made me realize that they're using a VR helmet is, you know, like whenever you try to, um, like take a video of an old TV set and you get the lines and everything. Yeah. That same effect happened at one point. Yeah, it totally that, does. That was cool, man. So I just think in, in the, the video for 666 though, it's actually like the most basic lyric video for the song for the album but it gave me a headache oh man it messes with you bad because like it's the same same background it's just a 666 in the background but like the background color will change in random spots from like this orange hue to like a pink but it's such a slight change that it like disorients you yeah i'll never watch it again yeah watch it one time that's all (laughs) you're gonna need that's Mm -hmm. all you're gonna need Mm -hmm. on that one still great song probably in my top three Mm -hmm. on the album so Track number seven, uh, 21, Moonwater. Uh, also a really cool track. It's it's a short one. I mean, it's a, well, it's still like three minutes, so not extremely short. I'm having a hard time recalling this one. So this one is, uh, it's a lot of like sampled stuff on it, and it's more of like a transitional song. I think it has like one simple vocal line in it, or a couple simple vocal lines in it, and it really transitions into track eight. How does it start out? Uh, just real like mellow type sample. I briefly remember it was really short. Yeah. That's all. Well, it feels short, but it's still three minutes long. Yeah. Um, actually co-written by Sean Carey as well. Oh. Uh, but it is... Uh, 
I mean, it's a good track. It just, it really is put there as a transition into the best track on the album, which is eight. I did circle. I didn't realize that this was your favorite song as well. It. It has song. to be. I've listened to it more than any other song on the album so far. It is. It's one that, like, if I'm going to pick a song on the album to listen to, yeah. if I have a five-minute card ride, that's the one. It's, it is it's Maximum Hornsby. A hundred percent. It's also, I guess, it's the song that would be most reminiscent of the self-titled album as well. Yes. And it is uh, It's my favorite song. And it is my favorite song because it is just simply a song that stands on its own two feet. It's perfect. It's a perfect song, man. It's 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 the longest song of the album too. Which yeah, it's I think five is minutes, five minutes, nine seconds. Yeah, uh, I feel, it's, I still feel it's too short. <laughs> it's the best lyrically. It's yeah. got the best melody in the album. It's got the most. It's got maximum feels. Maximum, maximum feels. feels. With the way the drums come in and out, and yeah. I mean, ah, uh, God, ah, uh, and it seems like. Shouts out to John Tyler, a friend of mine. He like put that on Facebook. I was like, yeah, man, it is the best song. I'm glad you it, liked it. It's absolutely the best song on the album. It's, it's, it's If you're going to listen to one song, there you go. I'm looking forward to the lyric video for that. Me too. Hopefully they release it soon. Yeah. And I hope it's a cool one. I just think it's really funny how Bruce Hornsby has ended up back in modern music. I know. Well, he deserves to be. He deserves to be. I mean, he's a fantastic piano player and songwriter. Yeah, you agree. I mean, he's... I'm glad to see him get his due. I'm glad to see his influence is, is creeping into sure. the music world again. Because he's he's one of my all-time favorites. He's become. Yeah. One one. He totally... I mean, it's, it's all coming around full circle now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that is... So that's the that's the top song. That that's the one. Stellar. It is the one. Um, that one leads well into the next one called uh, underscore 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 forty five underscore 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 underscore. Um, Which is a weird weird weird. I'm not sure how they made that one. Weird name, but that this is oh man. This one definitely cracks my top four. It's cool how it was done. The with the saxophones. Yeah. Oh man, it it is all it's all saxophones and it adds like this little banjo thing at the end. It's also like a counterpoint to Creeks. It is. In terms of it's a uh very heavy vocal. Yeah. But what's cool about it is it starts with just a simple dry vocal. In the first like I would say like 30 45 seconds of it. Mm -hmm. It's just that simple vocal. I love the way it was recorded. Because you can hear everything that's going on with the saxophones, yeah. like everything. Like you can hear the breaths. You can hear. There's actually some point where they hit this just really no, low note, and you just hear mostly breath when it when it hits. And it just I, it adds so much feeling to it. Yeah. Uh, it, I mean, you can you feel like the saxophones like sitting right in front of you and playing. Only there's like a ton of them. I think this is the one that has like 150 saxophone. What parts that they used? Yeah. Whoa. Yeah. That's cool. Well, you know where it does that quick little like thing that happens yeah. like towards the beginning. I think that's a adds a you know that's most of them. <laughs> um, it's just like that quick little run thing that happens that it's insane sounding. There is nothing in modern music or past music that sounds anything like this song. Well, ever. First off, I love the saxophone. It's one of my favorite instruments. I, I mm -hmm. plan on starting to learn to play one in the next few months uh i've always loved the way that justin vernon uses the saxophone uh he used to work with colin stetson who i don't think is on this album at all 
No. I don't see his name in the personnel at all. Colin Stetson is a really cool... Nope, I lied. He does saxophone on track 7, uh, 21 Moonwater. Oh, cool. Okay. Well, yep. I wonder if he played... Colin Stetson, is, he's very famous for using uh, like contrabass and subcontrabass saxophones, which uh-huh. are like about... I know a subcontrabass is like five or six feet tall, and it's really cool, but it, you can see him a lot on the older performances. He's the dude playing the saxophone that's like as, as tall as me, mm-hmm. and he uses it. He plays so low. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I remember that guy. Yeah, yeah. And he, he's he also does a lot of uh, music on his own. I think he did some stuff with Feist, but maybe he the constant. That's constant. Well, him and Justin Vernon, like the way that they use sax on this song and, and a lot of other uh, Bon Iver stuff is like, uh, not all saxophone has to be Coltrane. You know, it can also be used as a swell or a pad. Yeah. And it's really wild to watch them do that. Stetson in particular, he's amazing. But this song is, is a very, very cool way of, first off, just the saxophone, the composition alone, but then to take it and run it through God knows what kind of sampling I occurs. don't even know, man. It's, it's crazy. I can't even fathom how he put it together. I don't know. No idea. But this one, this is this one's played by the sad sax of shit, S A X. Oh, yeah. That's who's that's who's credited as the sax players on this one. I didn't even put two and two together, but honestly, the sax component might be a also holdover from Bruce Hornsby as well. Oh, absolutely. I didn't even think about. that. I mean, he always had a very huge band that yeah. he took with him. He still does. One of my favorite Bruce Hornsby concerts is he played Woodstock 1999. Yeah, that's a good good one. one. It's a really good one. Thanks, YouTube. So that takes us to our final track, uh, 00000 million. It's all right. I love it. It is my second favorite track. Maybe I just hyped myself up, but when, when we finished with the sax track, I was trying to figure out, like, how are you getting in this one, Justin? That's how you end it. That's how you end it. It's low key. Low key, indeed. And it doesn't build at all, which I thought I'd hate, but it's grown on me so much. It is my it is my second favorite song mm. on the album. I love the melody on it. I love the piano. I love how simple it is. It is the opposite of the rest of the album. Maybe you, you could view it as a... It's as a closing a, track, man. And that's the thing. There's only so many ways you can have closing have an album close there's yeah. a few examples there's like the maximum turned up one which is a song called conjugal burns on the mars volta album the bedlam and goliath it's one of my favorite closing songs but you're really your options for finishing an album you got that one you've got a low key you've got a song that kind of like falls apart into nothing you only have so many ways to to book in an album and i will say that and i guess it's just the one that they decided to go with it's not my favorite song though on the album no. You're entitled to your opinion. I think it's absolutely great. Um, it ends the album really well, especially for like the melancholiness of the entire album. Sure. That's the perfect way to end that. I, I would say I'll see I see what you mean. It's not it's not my favorite. Okay. But I, yeah. I, I I understand the intent, I guess. It's just not it's all right. All right. Sounds like a self titled song. You know why I love it so much? Why is that? Because it kind of reminds me of Beth Rest a little bit, but a stripped down Beth Rest hmm. from the self-titled. Because, hmm. I mean, that was the closer on that album too, and everyone fucking hated that song 
because it sounded like so 80s and cheesy. That is one of my favorite Boney Bear songs that one of my favorite songs that's ever been written. I didn't like that one that much either. I like it more live, I think. I love that song so much. Oh, just like the incorporation of like the saxophone in it and that giant drum fill and I mean that that song is yeah. perfect. It's absolutely perfect. And this song isn't quite as good as that one. Yeah. But it's still great and it's I think it's the perfect album closer. Mm. Perfect album closer for for what it or what had already been done on the album. So I think that that that's my thoughts. You know, usually when it takes a long time for an album to come out, usually it never really lives up to the hype. I think this is an exception. I think this this is worth the wait. Uh, I think that it I wish there was more to it. That's a good thing. You know, there's more yeah. meat left on the bone than is available. There is. And it's, I mean, it's, I, it will be the best album that comes out this year. Without a doubt. Like I've heard nothing else that comes close to no. that forward thinking. And there's only like three months left in the year. Nothing's going to top this album. No, I can't. Sorry guys. I can't think of anything that would, nothing, nothing's really in the horizon that would, no, would qualify. Not at all. Yeah. So, rating? Uh, eight. Eight? Yeah. Huh. Well, it's not a it's not a start to finish like Gold Star. Like, I don't know, man. There's there's few songs that I don't like every song equally. I don't like every song equally, but like I said, there's not there's not a bad track on the whole thing. And that's more than you can say about everything, everything that's come out this year. I'm going to give it an eight. Okay. Yeah. I like it. I like the experimentation. I like the songwriting. Okay. Uh, but there's a few that I'm like, yeah, <sighs> mainly the last one, the last one. And, um, uh, what's the other one? Maybe it's just the last one. Maybe I, I still like the way it closes. <laughs> I like the way it closes. I give it a nine, but we give it an eight. Okay. Don't, but Jesus Christ. I mean, it's an eight. It's not like I gave it like a two. It's Dude, still, you gave it a lower score than Pitchfork. I know I gave it a lower score than Pitchfork. I, I am going to agree with Pitchfork. Uh, they gave it actually a really good review and I don't say that ever. <laughs> Um, they gave it a nine. I'm going to, I'm going to give it a, uh, uh, see, I'm trying not to compare it to the last album. Cause the last album I would give a 10 to, mm-hmm. and it's rare that I'd give out a 10 to anything. Mm-hmm. So I, I give this one, I would say a 9.6, Okay. 9.6, because there, like I said, there's nothing on it that I wouldn't listen to over and over again and i have listened to it over and over again and i haven't grown tired of it when over it, an entire weekend when it hits it it's hard it does and and there's without a doubt some really really good songs there are like stellar stellar stuff i think it's one of those i'll say like once i listened to this album i instantaneously started working on some new music yeah so it, it's a, it's an album that i think would inspire anybody it's inspirational and the most unique album that's come out in many, many years. And yet somehow it's still honestly an adult contemporary album. <laughs> it kind of is, but that's fine. No, it's perfectly fine. It's just really funny how, like, the older I get, the more I realize, like, 
Good music usually comes back to a general broad category of adult contemporary music. It does. Because it's just good. Which, I, which adult contemporary to me just means like it's got, a f- no matter what's going on, it's got this feeling of like uh, relaxation about it, maybe. It does. Yeah, that's probably the best way I could describe it. It does. But yeah, it's it's a stellar album. I hope that it's not another five years for another Bonnie Vera album. I hope that it's same. It's sooner. Yeah. Yeah. Is, Me too. I hope he puts out another album. To be honest with you, you never know. Likewise, yeah. he could just say, "I'm done with this." But I think, I think with the direction this album went, and it let him be a little freer creatively without having to do all the live instrumentation, yeah. it gives him the ability to do a lot more on his own. Um, so I, I feel like he's going to continue to venture into this. Justin Vernon, he just has a very, very interesting way of piecing together songs, even all yeah. the way back to, uh, the first album. Like, you know, the songs are great. There's also like, they're off kilter. Like they're not what I would, you know, it's not what you would expect to come from a guy sitting in a, in a shed. It's, he's, he's, he's a very unusual way of interpreting sound and it's always it's always something that i would look forward to hearing again yeah he's a, he's a solid i agree solid guy totally agree well cool well thank you guys for listening go listen to 22 a million go listen to 22 a million yeah. you will not be disappointed yeah. and we will see you guys next time see ya goodbye